0: <laughs> so, we're going to we're gonna cancel for tonight. Um, so, no evening service tonight. Um, we'll, we'll see you back here. Um, so Where well,
1: this was supposed to be special numbers. Uh, let me let me work that out.
0: Okay. okay. Jared's going to work that out. Is it a fifth Sunday?
1: <laughs> no, we're just doing something different in choir. Oh. Do we need after service? Maybe, yes. That would be a good idea. Can we do that? Yes. yes. Okay. We'll meet after service.
0: December the 1st, how many weeks is that? Two weeks, right? Yes. Yeah. just to clarify, yeah. this, this sign up is for um, people, what you're
2: bringing to, to oh. contribute to the luncheon, you okay. soups, breads, crackers, and so, desserts. So
0: not that you're just going to be there. Right, but what you're, gonna, okay. but, but
2: what you're going All to right. contribute.
0: Very good, very good. <laughs> Certainly. Our God and our Father, we are thankful.
3: Is it true? It's true. It's true.
1: Scripture text of Genesis chapter twelve. In our last study, we is the communicating God, that is to say, as opposed to the dumb, deaf, and impotent idols of paganism, of men's own imagination and creation, the God of the Bible is the one who speaks, who communicates. He did appear to the idolater, Abraham. Abraham was an idolater. And he spoke audibly to him, giving him instruction to leave his homeland, to head to a place unknown, and to head there just on oh, God's sake, so alone. I want you think about that. I think that's what really spoke to Abraham. You know, idols, <laughs> they do not and they cannot communicate. So I think Abraham was shocked into the reality. That his hitherto faith in idols was fruitless. The stone image can't speak. The carved wood statue can't speak. So, who's this speaking to? This is something strange. This is something new. The Creator God speaks. That reality of God as Creator. God's Abraham in his heart to bow with allegiance. You know, God has not left himself without a witness to his existence, his knowledge, his power, his sovereignty over all of humanity and the issues of life. And Abraham could not ignore this. I don't think we should ignore it. It was this awareness of the true God of the universe which compelled Abraham to obey God's commands. Francis Schaeffer, the Christian philosopher and apologist, wrote a little tiny book. I have it in my library. It's entitled, He is There and He is Not Silent, in reference to God. It is the very truth understand that God has com- communicated His will for us. The author of Hebrews states, You have come to God, the judge of all men, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. See that you do not refuse Him who speaks. Amen. Hebrews 12, verse 22. <clears throat> not some dumb statue carved by a man's Creative skills are melted by an iron smith or a silversmith. And then there it sits. The writer of Isaiah says it has a mouth but it can't speak, it has ears but it can't hear, it has a nose but it can't smell. It just sits there. People in the world about Adam and say, Oh, this is. speaks we yeah. learned that God ratified the unilateral covenant of grace and mercy a promise with Abram while he was in a very deep sleep and that promise made was incumbent upon God to keep alone yeah Abraham was the recipient but he was not a partner in the covenant that God ratified all the way through the Texas, God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. Where's Abraham? He's sleeping under a tree. This does not mean that Abraham had no role in the promise. Of course he had a role. He, his role was to believe. His role was to act upon the promise of God. But it was not a partnership wasn't he and God that made the promise to together mm-hmm. thankfully I would say that salvation is the same way right mm-hmm. not a partnership because if it is guess who's going to fail on the side of one partner you and I we will fail but if it's all based upon God's grace and grace So today we want to talk about faith in God's say-so. It's a strange thing that we're asking people, in fact God's commanding us, to believe God when he says something. (coughs) Strange thing, because we are asked this of many people at times, and sometimes we block into it. Another time we say, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. But God comes to us and he makes promises to us and he expects us as his creatures to listen and obey and to believe, to believe. So that's the first point we're looking at it. We're to believe in God. say-so. We are able to say to God, but you promised. You promised. I think we've all said these words to people who have had to break their word to us due to unforeseen, unresolvable impediments that arose in their lives for which they had no power to change. And that said, we all place a lot of weight on promises. Think of this, marriage vows. A husband says to his bride, the minister asks, do you promise? Do you promise to love her and keep her and provide for her? Remain faithful to her alone so long as you both shall live? And he answers, I do. And the same is said to Signed business contracts, corporate mergers, mortgages, decisions made within families, agreements between friends, political international treaties—all these are more and more are based on promises, real or implied. And when papers are signed, the promises take on a legal binding nature with penalties. Financial or otherwise, that kick in if there is a breach of the promise. Makes it very important, doesn't it? Even in those agreements which are not legally binding, it is not unusual to hear a family member lament the breaking of such with the words, But, but, but you promised. You promised. That said, there are Is the other side of the coin, which is that a promise takes on a similar attribute to that of an oath of which the writer of Hebrews states, let me read it for you, men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath
2: confirms what is said and puts an
1: end to all arguments. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. Hebrews 6, verse 13. As human beings, we sometimes hear people add reinforcement to what they have promised by adding the words, or similar words, And you can take that to the bank. Meaning, my word to you is as secure and true as any deposit you might have in your bank account. You can trust my word. You can rest my decision. You make in these matters on what I have told you. Nonetheless, men with good intentions still break their word. As noted. For things which arise, they cannot account for, and for which they have no resolution. But the all-knowing, the all-powerful God of the universe, of whom the Bible says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear, to the heirs so of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, namely the promise and the oath, we who have fled to take hold of the oath offered to us may be Hebrews 6, verse 17 and 18. Now in this text, the writer is telling us three things about the character of God when dealing with His people. Number one, God does not change the nature of His purposes when dealing with men. As noted before, God orchestrates all of the events, so there's never a time... When he has to change plans. You and I change our plans all the time. Why? Well, because we can't control all the events. We have good intent. It's not like we're liars when we make a promise to somebody. But there are conditions that arise that affect our promises. And sometimes we have to break our promises just because of overwhelming conditions that come our way. Secondly, God's word carries with it the weight of both a promise and an oath. Thirdly, that said, it is impossible for God to lie. Impossible. Intentionally or otherwise, because he is truth personified. Jesus put it this way. He said, I am the truth. John 14, verse 6. And then Jesus testified of God the Father and said, Your word is truth. John 17, verse 17. So I said all that to say this, that Abraham was given a promise by God. Not by men, but a promise by God. Suddenly, Abraham believed God without any history, or can I say, any experience with God. Remember, Abraham's father, Tabor, was an idolater. That means Abraham was an idolater. That's all they knew paganism. God had to start somewhere. The world was full of pagans. So he reached down, and he started with this man called Abraham, and his wife stayed. But you can't deny his history. He had no experience with the true God of creation. When we act upon a person's promise, it is because we have have a history with them. They have told us things before that have proven true time and time again. So, yeah, we trust them to be telling us the truth right here and there. And if we do not have a history with people, I'm thinking here maybe like uh, business contracts of sort. we may still enter into an agreement with them, but usually only if they are willing to sign their name to a formal document. Try to get a mortgage for your house at the local bank without signing papers. <clears throat> it ain't gonna They may even know you. You might have a bank account probably with them. They're not going to take your word that they're going to give you $50,000 or whatever for a new mortgage on your say-so. They're going to make you sign on the dotted line. How unique and unusual then to read of Abraham's compliance with the command of God. Go to the land, and I will show you. Verse 1. Verse 4 So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. I pointed out the other week that it was likely a shocker for Abraham to be confronted with a God who speaks, as opposed to the dumb idols which are part and parcel of the pagan religion of his day. So, oh yes, I think his ears perked up when God appeared to him and spoke commanding. It's not some dumb idol sitting on his furniture. But even so, God made a lot, he made a lot, a big deal of the promises of God, verse 2 and following, with whom Abraham had no history. How could he commit to such a God with whom he had no experience? I mean, think about it. Maybe this new God was a liar. Not to be trusted. Maybe this new God meant well, but was as impotent to keep his word as the dead, lifeless idols that Abraham and Sarai were used to worshiping. You know, promises are only as good as the person asking Making it. But Abraham and Sarah, there's no God. Not the God of the Bible. It, it can be said, and it needs to be said, when talking about faith, that all people have faith. No one operates in our world without faith. When your friend says to you, okay, let's meet downtown at the Mexican restaurant, 12.30 on Monday, and we'll have lunch together. You do not consume the rest of the day calling that person every three hours to ask, are you sure you're going to meet me? Are you sure you're going to meet me? Are you sure you're going to meet me? No, unless something hinders you, you will not call that person again at all. You will simply show up at the appointed time Unless they call and cancel. In other words, you trust them to show up because they have earned your trust. When you head out to work in the morning, you have faith that when you show up at work, the building will be unlocked, it will be open to receive you, there will be heat on in the building, electricity to run the lights, the machinery, the computers, whatever. You will expect no pink slip in your locker saying that you have been terminated. No, no. Again, how long have you worked for that employer? Five years, 10 years, more? They've always treated you right. So you do not question these things every Monday morning when you begin a new work week. You trust from experience that barring any catastrophe, you will continue to work for them and be compensated for When you have a special family outing plan that is dependent on good weather, you trust the weather report, which predicts sunnier skies and 80 degree temperatures. And even if the meteorologist gets the forecast wrong, You do not say, I will never trust that liar again. We still do that. No, you've chalked about too well, no one's perfect, or everyone makes mistakes. You still check the weather report again the next morning, don't you? Faith is a natural human response to life in all circumstances, because you've learned to trust others your experience. This faith in others is so strong that if someone were to accuse your friend of slandering you behind your back or doing something to betray you, you would protest. That is not true. My friend would never say that about me. And we would speak so confidently because we have experienced unflinching loyalty and integrity from our friend. All people have this kind of faith. But what can we say about Abram acting on the command from an unknown, untested, unproven God with whom he has had no knowledge and no experience? And what is more, the command of this God requires an absolute faith because of its nature. It is not probable faith. I mean, even a stranger might be trusted to meet you downtown for lunch. Business people do this all the time, don't they? There's a high probability he'll meet you there. So you go. But this... This command from God is radical, it is demanding, and it is unprecedented. Pack up your belongings, because you're not going to be returning, oh boy. Leave your friends, leave your family, leave your business associates, go to the land that I will show you, and I'll confirm it when you... No map, no GPS, no written directions. Just start walking, and you'll know it when you see it, and you'll see it when I show it to you. You see how irrational that sounds to us? Who lives with this kind of faith? This is not normal. This faith is extreme. This is supernatural faith. This is faith in the unseen, in the unknown. It is inexperienced faith, unlearned, untaught type of faith. Faith with no history. Faith with no foundation upon which to build a relationship. Some have called it blind faith. But if it is blind, all of us should pray for blindness. John reminds us, however, that such faith is not irrational faith. It's not stupid. It is not, as some have suggested, wow, that's a leap into the dark. John enters in a known faith, of which I have been speaking this morning. And then he makes the connection with unknown faith, in the most vital of all faith exercises, faith in God to save sinners. Here's the way he writes it. We accept, John writes, we accept man's testimony. In other words, he's saying, you, you have faith in the words of men, Right? But, he goes on, God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. 1 John 5, verses 9 through 11. So then the question comes, which is this. Shall we believe men and what they say and treat God as a liar. This is the logic of it all. That said, still, we must conclude that logic does not win out in sinful men. Sinners will always prefer lies over logic, falsehood over truth, when it comes to spiritual matters, because they have a spiritual enemy of their souls, Again, often repudiated and denied. I'm referring to Jesus' testimony about the devil. And I could say it this way. Jesus believed in the devil. You say, well, how do you know? Because he talks about it. Let me read it for you. Jesus writes about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he just speaks his native language. For he is a liar. And Paul tells us how Satan uses his lying, murdering powers. Paul writes "The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. Since this is so, how could Abram? indeed, how can anyone have saving faith in God that they do not know, and over whose spiritual eyes Satan has cast blinders? Well, Paul continues to tell us how it happens. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. Where did he say that? Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 at the creation Let light shine out of darkness The God who said that he goes on made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light faith in God a gift. Paul explains. We have this treasure in jars of clay that is an unworthy, sinful folk. That's what we are. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 2 Corinthians In other words, saving faith is not the natural faith we all utilize every day of our lives. No, it is supernatural. It's gifted faith to whomever God calls. Hebrews 3, verse 7 and 8 puts it this way. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your." Jesus tells us Abraham's response God called him and promised him the Savior in his coming offspring. John 8, verse 56 says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and he was glad. I told the Jews that. Isn't that something? had all of this wonderful promises from God. The Old Testament scriptures that spoke of the coming Messiah and Savior but they missed Jesus when he came. And so Jesus says to them, to the leaders in particular of his day to these Jewish leaders your father Abraham whom you so revere your father Abraham rejoiced to see saw it, and he was glad. What's wrong with you? Why can't you see? Why can't you believe? What is your problem? All of your scriptures speak of me coming. I'm here. See, be There was a progression in Abraham's faith. We need to realize that. The faith chapter of the Bible, Hebrews 11. In this chapter, the author rehearses the history of some of the faithful people of Old Testament times. Abel, Enoch, Noah, and so on. But he devotes the lion's share of this expose to Abraham. Living in Listing four distinct faith milestones, I would call them, in Abraham's life. Each of these milestones is also a step upward in trust in God from the previous step. Thus demonstrating that we can grow in our faith to God just as we mature physically and mentally. First stepping stone. Saving faith obeys God's directors. That's the first stepping stone. Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith Abraham, when called to God, the voice that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going Most of you have experienced some of this. The idea of leaving home. When Don and I were married, seven months later, we packed our meager belongings into a pool behind the utility trailer, and we headed for John Brown University in Arkansas, 24-hour drive one way. 1,155 miles away from our hometown at Ben's Not only were we new to marriage, but we were new to not having a family support system. Our parents did not pay for our trip. They did not pay for our school tuition. They did not pay for our room and board. We were, as they said to us, you are on your own. We had to secure our own off-campus housing, our own employment, our own food, our own everything. We knew no one at John Brown. No friends, no fellow students, no church family. We felt very much alone in a new, strange environment where our people ate something called grits at every meal and they drank raw, unpasteurized milk that you could buy at the grocery store. You may have experienced something similar. I remember Jim Steele telling me that of his and Linda's move from West Virginia, a couple of West Virginia hillbilly's. Go mine town, came to Michigan, get a job, in the auto industry. Very smart economic move. But also one in which they had to leave friends and family to relocate miles and miles away in a new state to begin a new job and a new life. There's a measure of faith in all of this. But there's nothing supernatural about it. Donna and I had to find a school which would have Northeast educational endorsement for Donna, so that upon graduation she could teach back in Pennsylvania, which was our own dad, home state. I needed a school that had a good theology department, so we did our homework, we prayed, we searched, we looked for Christian schools that would have both these criteria Very little of this applies to Abraham and Sarah. They had a calling from an unknown yet living God to a place Abraham would later receive as an inheritance. A place kept secret in the mind of God and not disclosed till they had actually put sandals on the ground and were on the move. Reminds me of some of the ads that I've answered on Craigslist when inquiring about used furniture. I would ask for the address of the seller, and I had one seller tell me this, I quote, call me when you're on the road, and I will give you the address. I'm going to talk. He was very cautious about his location, why? Because many people said they were going to come down and look at the furniture to buy it, and they never showed up. That's why. And he was sitting there waiting for them to show, and they never did. So call me when you're on the road, and I'll give you the address. He wanted assurance that people were going to actually show up to see what he's crying. So we read of Abraham by faith. Abraham, who called to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed, and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Hebrews eleven verse eight. You know, I've had people tell me, "Well, I believe in God." Yet their whole life is one of disobedience to the simplest of God's directors. Hard believing God. James warns us that there is an intellectual assent or belief in God, which nonetheless is damning and in fact. He writes to his people Oh, you believe that there's one God. Good! Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. But his point is, they're still demons. They believe and they shudder. But they're still demons. He goes on, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did? You see that his faith isn't his actions that worked together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed in the and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not not by faith alone. Not just by mental assent. Oh, I believe in God. May I put it this way, saving faith is an obedient faith. It is a working faith. It is an active faith. If those latter elements are not, The second stepping stone in Abraham's faith is that saving faith lives as a no man on earth looking for something better. Hebrews 11 verse 9 says, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, as his son and his grandson, who were heirs with him of the same Promise, Hebrews eleven verse nine. Do you see this? I mean, he makes it to the promised land to which God directed him to go, but when he gets there, he lives like he lives like a stranger in a foreign country. The author says, living in tents as his son and grandson after him, who were heirs of the same promise. Now, the man was wealthy. If you know anything about Abraham, read his history in the Old Testament. He was wealthy. Thousands of cattle, thousands of sheep. He could have built a very substantial mansion for himself overlooking the beautiful Jordan Valley. His wealth could have bought him some pretty powerful political connections with the movers and shakers of Canaan. But he preferred preferred to keep his distance and to live as a stranger in a foreign country. What foreign country? This is his country, gifted to him by God. What more could Abraham want? God had brought him there. them the Dallas. It's all yours. What's he waiting for? What's he thinking about? Hebrews 11 verse 10. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose an
3: architect
1: and is God. In other words, Abraham saw the promised land as not the promised land. No, Canaan was a very, very poor substitute for the promised land. In the next week's study we'll see how he scoped out the land, going in every direction of the compass to see it and examine it. Do you know the truth of the little (coughs) chorus? This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Amen. Amen. Saving faith puts down shallow roots in this world. Because the real promised land has to do with a city that has a permanent foundation whose architect and builder is God. In curiosity we ask what's that city like? The Bible answers as it is written no eye has seen nor ear has heard no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And men protest, but I want to know now, before I get there. <coughs> and God answers, you will get there when you get there. And when you get there, you will know. <coughs> Saving faith hopes to God's future for something better than this world. The third stepping stone is that saving faith trusts God to do the impossible. We read by faith even by faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become the father, a father, excuse me, because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, as good as dead, he had descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, and as countless as the same on the seashore. Hebrews 11, verse 11-12. When God first promised that he would make Abraham into a great nation, Abraham was 75 years old. Verse 4. Now you know, not many men are having children at age 70. But even if they were possible with Abraham, Sarah, his wife, we are told, Hebrews 11, verse 30, she was barren. As the years rolled by on both Abraham and Sarah, they became impatient. And so Sarah proposed that Abraham marry Hagar, her maidservant, as a concubine, that is, as a lesser wife. Who would be able to bear children and provide Abram with an heir? Genesis 18, verse 3 indicates this occurred 10 years after Abraham and Sarah had relocated in Canaan, and so now Abraham is 85 years old. As a result, Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, from whom all of the Arab nations had. They also revere Abraham, the Arabs did, along with us Christians. But as Ishmael persecuted Isaac, so the Arabs have hated the Christian descendants of Abraham to this very day. But, that said, Ishmael was not, he was not the promised seed, because God's promise was that Sarah, would bear Abraham a son, not her handmaid. So you have to keep everything in perspective. Say, well, if God had just energized Sarah's womb earlier, this travesty would never have happened. So, what was God waiting for? so he became the father of many nations, just as heaven said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as death, since he was about 100 years old. Yeah, for 99 years old, that's about as close as you're going to get to 100 years old. And he faced the fact that Sarah's womb was also Still so reading scripture. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Amen. This is why, still so reading scripture. This is why it was credited to him, his righteousness, his faith. Romans 4, verse 18 and following. Oh, and if you want the original account, that's Genesis 18. You can read it there. So I have a question. Why did God delay his promise to Abraham that he with Sarah would have a son? He started out age 70 and a decade past he's now 85. Another now 99. Delay, delay, delay. Sarah's getting older. Why did God delay, delay, delay? Well, he was waiting for Abraham's procreation. Sarah had been barren for more than 30 years of marriage.
3: 30 years.
1: But at age 85, Abraham was still virile enough to have a father Ishmael through Hagar. And there was no way that God was going to allow any shred of possibility that Sarah's son was the result of Abraham's. Procreative creative powers. No, no. Promised child means miracle child. Promised child means child conceived by faith in God. A child of grace. Saving faith trusts God to do the impossible. Faith is sacrificial faith. So by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his own and only son, even though God had said to him, "It's through Isaac, it's through Isaac, that your offspring will be offspring will be reckoned or counted." I'm still reading scripture. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Hebrews 11, verse 17. And I think you know the story. It's found in Genesis 22. God came to Abraham and instructed him. Here it is. Take your son, take your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering to on one of the mountains that I'll tell you about. Genesis 22, verse 2. And Abraham willingly complied, but as he raised his arm, knife in hand, ready to sacrifice Isaac as God had commanded, the an angel of the Lord stopped him, saying, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that fear God because you have not withheld from me your son your only son. Genesis 22 verse 12. We read that and we say whoa, whoa how could Abraham even think of doing such a thing? Hebrews 11 verse 9 tells us what he was thinking. Let me read Abraham reasoned, he's thinking, he reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. (coughs) Wow. I'm going through with this, Lord. You tell me to sacrifice him, I'm going to sacrifice him. And when I do, you're just going to have to raise him back you have said that through Isaac, my seed is going to be counted. And I'm going to become a great nation through Isaac. So, because you said it, you promised it, you got to do it. I'm trusting you. Oh, there is so much here. Let me just say that on ancient Mount Moriah, the city of Jerusalem is built. And just outside the city in a place called Golgotha, the place where God sacrificed his one and only son, Jesus, on the wooden cross. Only this time there was no stay of execution. No voice from heaven saying, Halt! No governor's pardon. God the Father's love is sacrificial, so is the Son's faith. We are told, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, My Father, if it's possible, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from yet, yet, not as I will. people of faith, we are called upon to live sacrificially. Think and live and provide for our families with the awareness at all times that this world is transient. That is, it's here today, gone tomorrow. Only what we do for Christ will last. We may shortchange ourselves now for the kingdom of God. But in the end, we will reign as princes World's not my home. I'm just passing through. My churches are my church. Yeah. Our Father, we thank you for your word, for the promises of Scripture, for the truth of them, from the God who cannot lie, and the God who takes an oath on top of a promise, and so by two. Grant us repentance, to turn away from our sin. May you give us the faith that we need to grab hold of the very salvation that is found in Him. Lord, bring us into your family today and make us one with God's people. This we ask for your honor and your glory, for our good too. Amen. Amen. <coughs> from Trinity, the let number 6 five. Mm-hmm. Now, after this song, we'll dismiss, and uh, people are going to be practicing for the Christmas program. We'll meet you up here. No evening service. So let's take a look at this thing from the red angle number six part, five five Jose safe to the rock say it, and you have said it, we believe it, and we're going to act on it. Even if what you say is hurting to us, or challenging us, or calls us